You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 96 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is the highly esteemed and always respectful Daniel Aaron Dulger. Hi, I'm still in LA. <laughs> it's time. So, how is Thanksgiving in LA? It was good. I was lying low. I was going to go back to San Francisco, but it just seemed like too much effort. And then I'm kind of enjoying San, or LA not having traffic today. <laughs> so it's the first well, time I've looked at the map where it isn't just all the freeways are red. say that, but I saw a beautiful picture of the 405, and it was headlights down one side and taillights down the other. And yeah, not, that's leaving. I mean, yeah. that was before. So today it's pretty dead. Yeah. But typically, yeah, there's a lot of crazy traffic. City, the people of LA just voted for a big investment in transit. So they're going to be expanding a lot of subways. And because they've spent the 405 segment, uh, they spent a billion dollars putting high occupancy lanes on, like re- retrofitting the freeway, making it wider. And it, after a billion dollars of investment, they, they looked at the uh, traffic and they couldn't find any difference. <laughs> no appreciable difference. So well, try I mean- to. By the time you've built it, right, the traffic has grown and increased to match. So you haven't, you kept your head above water. Yeah, it's basically. inducing traffic, but also people, people don't really use transit lanes very well, or you know the high occupancy yeah. lanes. So, doesn't I think they're gonna part of the plan is they're gonna turn those into toll lanes. So you, they're the kind of lanes that you have to pay to. And that works, right? Because if you if you know that you need to go there faster, then you'll pay the toll. Yeah, and it generates revenue too, so that's good. And there are some lanes like that around there. I was I was using yeah. uh, I was in a rental car a couple of times ago when I was out that way, and I just needed to get very very quickly through the whole thing. So I just flipped down the little transponder and. Bay Area has that too. Some places. One of the things that I was thinking about is parking. Right when when I go to LA and trying to park, it's it's not always easy. And it's often it, not it, easy, yeah. It must be terrible for residents there. And so what I've been thinking is is that instead of buildings with parking, right, you, you, you probably might see things like buildings that instead offer a monthly voucher to be used for Uber and stuff like that. Yeah, there's been some talk about um, kind of reconfiguring how things are laid out and, uh, for example, having reserved spaces in front of buildings that don't have parking to kind of make it easier for the economy of not just ride shares, but also deliveries when people yeah. are, I mean, I was, you know, I was sitting in a restaurant the other day and there was just a constant stream of Uber picking up food. And what are the other, there's like two or three different services that were coming in, just picking up food for people all the time. Wow. The, the problem with parking is, is not just that you have nowhere to park where you live. It's that you have nowhere to park when you get where you're going. Right. Right. So the whole idea of, of, minimizing that need makes it that much cooler i think you know it's not like um you know in new york there are cabs all over the place it's totally easy i and, and in the bay area too a little bit but i um haven't haven't had that same experience in la la feels like a very different city than san fran or new york yeah like i don't know about cabs here but um certainly ride sharing is pretty easy to do seems like yeah, definitely but ride sharing is kind of opening up a whole new economy of companies paying people sort of menial jobs, which, you know, is flexibility, but it's not the same kind of work. And what happens when, you know, someone flips the switch and we all go to driverless 
car share. That's a lot of people that well, are unskilled and don't have an option for doing something else. That that apocalypse is going to come also because when film is with us at Switch, it's the, the first thing that's going to go is for uh, long haul trucking. Yeah. Right when you know there's a lot to, of people involved in in some sort of driving. When, when you don't part have to, of the job, yeah, yeah. When you don't have to worry about you know ha- having your driver sleep enough hours when the computer can drive straight through. Right. Um, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about your drivers uh, having to accelerate or or drive faster to try and make up time. You just have the computer reporting that it's still on track. Um, changes a ton of things, and and like you say, you know, it's going to put a ton of people back into the market for looking for work. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to that kind of talk, one of the things that I wanted to think about was, was the, uh, the 5k Thanksgiving day activity challenge. So you were an Apple watch. Yes. Yes. And it gave you this challenge, right? I didn't see it. Give me the challenge. I really? I didn't notice. I heard people talking about it and actually, uh, I didn't charge my watch last night, so <laughs> so I just like put it on the charger. I'll probably go do a was a three mile run just so, to get, just to get a little picture to make myself feel better. <laughs> <laughs> right so the uh, the the activity app on Apple Watch offered a Thanksgiving themed activity achievement to those who walk, run, or wheelchair workout distance of at least five kilometers, or like you say, three point one miles, and. There are people on on Twitter I was watching who are saying that they they're completed it or instead of doing that we're doing something else like you know completing changing passwords for all of their relatives or you know other useful things. I spent part of my Thanksgiving helping someone reorganize their photo library and uh free up disk space because they'd filled their complete hard drive on their Mac and uh, Macs don't always work well when you have absolutely zero bytes left. Yeah, if you get below a gigabyte, it starts complaining. No kidding. And then it gets real painful <laughs> when you have like no memory left at all. Yeah, it, it would not even successfully boot. It would turn on and Finder would crash on each attempt to launch Finder. And what he'd, what he'd done was he was so concerned about his photos that he had a time machine backup. He had a, uh, a cloning drive backup and he had things synchronizing to Dropbox and Google Drive, and then he had multiple copies of the Dropbox and Google Drive folders. Oh, so it's just doubling everything? Well, tripling and quadrupling. yeah. Yes. And it adds up really quickly. You fill a terabyte fast doing that. Yeah, it's exponentially fast when you're just <laughs> doubling your stuff. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we cleaned all that up, and uh, one password was broken, and we ended up upgrading to Sierra in the process, and so just many, many hours spent doing the traditional technical support for family and friends. Yeah, it can take so so much time to, to do just like little things like that when you're messing around with, you realize you have to do this to get that done. And yeah. that's why you really see the genius in what Apple's doing with, you know, people keep complaining about iPads aren't powerful enough and they don't do all the things they want to do from a Mac. But for majority of people, really, I mean, if you're checking email and browsing the web kind of thing, uh, the iPad is a scaled down computer. And and photography and Lightroom and you know Lightroom it's Mobile so much cheaper and it's so much simpler and there's just a lot of things that you don't have to do on it. Well, as a, as I was doing this with his MacBook Pro, he was on his iPad Air two, and as we were partway through upgrading to Sierra at the very end of things, he said, "You know, I could probably do almost everything on the iPad." 
And it was at that moment, friends, when I put my hand in my head and said, yes, yes, you probably could. So, no, I did not complete the the 5K Thanksgiving Day Challenge, but... I still got some hours left on Thanksgiving. I might do it tomorrow. We're telling everybody happy Thanksgiving, but, you know, for a lot of the world, they don't... <laughs> it's not a for, thing. For like an American holiday we made up. It's, it's well, you know, our Canadian listeners have Thanksgiving a different day. But so in America, we have Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a national holiday. And it... Um, the, the story we tell ourselves is that it's uh, in sort of remembrance and celebration of one of the early meals between colonists coming to America and the indigenous people. Obviously, as I say, that's the story we tell ourselves. It's not exactly factual, but um, but it's it's a time when we gather and have a big meal with our families and friends and, and to try and remember what it is we're thankful for, which in this modern world isn't always easy. Did I summarize that well enough, do you think? I think that's a good summary. Okay. So you're going to try and get in your 3.1K, your, your 3.1 miles later today. I'm going to try and get it in tomorrow, and we'll see how we do. Uh, those who complete the challenge will earn a special messages app sticker, which is pretty cool because then you oh. get these stickers that you can use <laughs> in an iMessage. Didn't even realize that. I really have to run that. Hey, I'm telling you, there are benefits to this. Two kinds of pictures. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I didn't have to do for my my good friend was fix his wireless network, although I had to do that quite recently, in fact, for a different set of friends, the the people that have been helping out with the Mac Mini. And this this happened just this past week, and it was really kind of surprising to me that Apple is abandoning the airport wireless router. Yeah, they they haven't. uh, For a while, Apple was, you know, they kind of introduced Wi-Fi to the mainstream, on the, I believe it was the iBook that introduced it first, where they put it on. Is that right? That, that feels right. I mean, it was in the it exist, iBook. It existed as it a was... kind of quasi standard, but if you look at PC mags from the day, they were talking about, you know, there was this idea to have networking that ran over your power lines or phone lines or things yeah, like that. That still exists, right? But Yeah, it was kind of this kludgy thing, but wireless is so much better. And when it came out, it was actually pretty impressive. And they kept stepping it up and it, you know, it went from being sort of a, a way to access the internet without a wire to being pretty competitive with wired solutions. You don't have to deal with all of the, the there's quite a lot of <laughs> having wired a number of companies. It's, it's a lot of work to install wiring and all the infrastructure that needs to do that. So being able to put up wireless is incredibly good on a number of levels. Yeah. Um, but for Apple, um, there was a time, I don't know what the, the numbers are recently, but there were a few years ago we published a story that Apple had something like 10% of the wireless, or the Wi-Fi base station market, which is pretty incredible given how 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 much of a commodity kind of market it was. Um, they haven't really been working tremendously hard to do that. And when you look at Apple's stuff, it's like the, the things that Apple is really good at are things that require and benefit from design physical design if you look at the the macbooks for example or ipads i mean what makes them great is that they're super thin and they're super light and they're they're so tightly engineered as a product that they become more valuable than the alternatives that other competitors are offering but when you look at some things especially with wi-fi um it's hard for apple to compete on design because it's the kind of thing you buy and then you stick in a you know 
stick on top of your shelf or something and it just kind of works until it either burns up or you need to maybe do an update or something. Yeah. So it's not something that you interact with a lot. It's not like Apple TV or something where you're you're using well, it as a user interface. So let, let me let me bring an alternative point of view to that. If if you got any other router originally, they were annoying to set up because you had to plug it in, you had to go to a special web address and then enter in a user and password into your web browser and hope that your your computer picked up the DHCP from the wireless router and and got it to work right. Or if you were using a Netgear in the old days, it would do its own uh, spoofed DNS so that you'd type in routerlogin.com and it would right. go to the special web page. And then you had to navigate this special web page to figure out how to actually set the thing up. And none of this is easy, right? Yeah, there's a lot you, of you, difficult you, kind of weird problems that can come out from... You know, you you have to know if you're setting up PPPoE for DSL and if you're setting up just getting a DHCP address because you're on cable modem and ton ton of weird things that routers have to guide you through. And for years, they didn't. Uh, it was only a little later on that they actually had really decent setup assistance to try and help you get a connection. Apple smartly said, all of this is hard and it doesn't have to be. Let's make good software that guides people through it and allows them to manage these things easily. And by the way, we'll also make them look nice because these things don't really look nice. The The routers that always shipped before Apple's um, were, were these imposing black and blue kind of things with rubber deck antennas sticking up out of the back, and you'd always have two of them. These days, if you try and buy a router, you can get from two to six of these antennas sticking up, depending on if you're getting one of the expensive gaming ones. Uh, and where Apple's was was beautifully designed as a rounded rectangle or a square, whether you got the Airport Express or you got the full size Airport. Yeah, so they made these devices that look nice, but um, in general, and, if you're they plugging it in, using too. Yeah, the, the super super simple setup, um, especially with it, actually went from being a surprisingly complex uh, software thing for Apple to to introduce. I mean, they were doing things like. Um, some of the more advanced features of it is being able to set up, you know, things like they, they had WPS bridging where you could have a, yeah. a wireless bridge bridge between two different routers to extend them, which was pretty esoteric. And even just setting up server services like DHCP and things like that, where you can configure. And sometimes you want to do it just super simple and you want to push a button and turn it on. And sometimes you want to configure it to work in a specific way. Um, so it was in many ways similar to what Apple was doing with Mac OS X server, where it was yes. kind of like this product of we're taking all this really complicated networking stuff and we're making it simple. And then they went and went full-on ultra-simple with iOS apps for the airport base stations, where you basically just turn on your iPhone and you, it sets itself up, essentially. Yes. And it, it's super streamlined, super easy. Um, the problem is... Frequently, if you're setting up an airport, you're getting your your um, network through another router or box or something. So sometimes the cable company is already giving you a box that has Wi-Fi on it. Sometimes it's it's just cabled, but you have to basically configure two routers. Yeah. You have to deal with two different sets of things like NAT and um, can cause problems. So Apple is really solving part of the problem. You're still dependent on other hardware and you're still dependent on other complex uh, setup. And then... Apple's then taking over that extra setup 
So it's kind of like trying to run Windows on a Macintosh. Well, Apple's not supporting Windows, which is yeah. much more difficult than just supporting Mac OS. So there's a number of reasons you can understand why they would want to be out of that business because A, it isn't terribly um, okay, it so it's a not, tremendous it's match not, for Apple stuff, and it it's isn't making a lot profitable. of money. Right. Yeah. On, but, the, on the flip side, there's a couple things like we're talking about, the, the super simple setup and other technologies like AirPlay. That well, I want to bring up Time Machine. Yeah, and Time Machine is another example of that. Time Machine is terrible. Uh, Time Machine is fantastic. It's a nice idea, but it's super slow. I mean, Okay, but that's if, because if wireless standards drive. are slow and hard drives are slow. Okay, so wireless standards are relatively still slow and hard drives may be relatively slow, but the server, basically there's a, a file server service running on the Airport Express that if you compare that to, you know, the file systems, if you set up a Macintosh and plug in a hard drive on it and share it over a network, it's fairly fast. It's not mind-blowingly fast, but it's fairly fast. If you try to do that to a time machine or a time capsule, which is Apple's Airport plus a hard drive, it's incredibly slow because it's being served off a little ARM computer. Yeah. So it's a really scaled down computer. So the, the things, we don't know what Apple's doing because they did it really kind of <laughs> just was like, we're not doing this anymore. Um, they could be getting rid of their sort of legacy platform, which was sort of an embedded, it was an ARM computer running some sort of embedded thing that wasn't iOS. It was kind of just running a Unix or, um, type operating system that's embedded, I believe. Uh, so they could be rolling out an, a new version of that in the future that's more like an Apple TV, or they could give Apple TV more functionality. I was always kind of wondered why they didn't merge those products together and just make Apple TV into like a really great wireless device so that when you upgrade to you know the latest Apple TV, you're not only getting maybe high resolution or faster graphics or something, but you're also getting the latest wireless standards, be kind of similar um, sort of replacement cycle to your computer, you know, where you kind of replace everything at once. So, I mean, they could be doing something like that where they're changing their strategy or they could just be like saying, eh, this is something that other people do a good enough job at and we don't really have any use in doing with this. And that's kind of similar to what we saw with the display screens. They didn't come out with a new thunderbolt 3 display they just said here's some lg monitors that we've worked with and they work with the new macbook pros with thunderbolt 3 connectors yeah. the, the 4k 5k displays so i mean apple in the past when you know when steve jobs came back he got rid of cameras and got rid of printers and all this stuff that was kind of on the sidelines and not okay, really okay, generating but, money but some of those things were made by other people and branded as apple right the, the printer That's line true, yeah. was was canon for a good long while yeah, the internals. I mean, they did a lot of their own work, too, on, on some of that stuff. They built, like, even the inkjet things, their engine was from somewhere else, but they did a lot of uh, design work on the body of the printer, actually, and how it worked. But yeah, Some it, of them were just straight rebrands, because I, I, I've had yeah, I guess some of the Canons that were, like, the BJ200EX was with Canon, was a straight Apple, you know, rebrand. There was no influence there at all. That was old Apple. You know, the, the, but it is kind of a sad day because the airport stuff was something that Apple didn't pioneer, right? They didn't invent the technology, but they certainly made it widespread and made it easy to adopt. The, you know, they, they, yeah, they just bought Lucent Orinoco wireless cards and put them right in the Macs basically as they were for a good long while. Uh, it wasn't until the airport extreme, which was the, the 802.11G 
the 54 megabit where they actually started making their own cards and, and branding their own cards. But the, uh, and, and the first, the first airport was an X86 reference design. It had an AMD processor in it. You know, you talk about them being small PCs. They really were small PCs early on. And, and, you know, they, they pioneered time capsule, the idea that no one ever had to not have a backup. Um, but I think the real solution for that now is is iCloud, and it's so much better because you know you can back up to a time capsule, and if if it burns out or if you have a house fire, and well, you're not really backed up. You're <laughs> you just went through the motions of backing it up. Um, being able to have an offsite backup on a fast service that you can do tremendous kind of stuff from connecting all your devices, your phone, your tablet, your computers, all sharing and updating all the stuff and you have everything synced right down to your your calendar and even your clipboard and your bookmarks and all this kind of stuff that iCloud is just so much better of an option for backups for most people than trying to think that you're getting backed up when and then trying to figure out how to restore it afterward. I feel like you need to have a blended solution, right? You can have the iCloud backup of your documents and desktop folders but and, and photos, but Time Machine is better because you get the hourly backups and because you have something local that you can pull from fast if you need to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that you can of course continue to do as time machine is not going away. So what routers do you think of when you think of getting one now that you can't get an airport? Well, T-Mobile gives you a, if you're a customer in the United States, they'll give you a really fast, I think it's an Asus router. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's quite a number of routers and they all support really fast networking and Apple supports really fast networking on their newer devices that I don't, I mean, I haven't bought a brand new airport for myself and a lot of people have these older airports cause they don't, they don't necessarily appear to go obsolete, you know, but people don't realize that wireless networking standards get tremendously faster every few years. And so if you're trying to use an old airport with a new MacBook, you're, you're getting, it appears to be fast, but it can go so much faster than. Uh, one of the things is um, the new. My friend has one of these T-Mobile uh, Wi-Fi units that the T-Mobile will give you for free. Uh, basically, it also bridges with your phone, so you can make calls right. over Wi-Fi. That's, I was getting to that. That's that's, that's the reason it. they give it to you is because yeah. it allows you to have Wi-Fi call, and you're taking the pressure off their connection. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it has both a 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz network. And typically the 5 gigahertz network is sort of a, um, the disadvantage is that it doesn't penetrate walls as well. But I noticed that it does 80 uh, megahertz bandwidth channels. So it basically blocks four different um, standard size Wi-Fi bandwidth channels together to, it's like carrier aggregation. So you're using multiple channels, so you get it goes really. Yeah, it's channel bonding. Yeah, it just makes it so much faster, and you know the, the latest MacBooks support that, so it's much faster. So if you take some time to figure out how your system is configured and what it can do, then you can achieve speeds that are much faster than if you're just like plugging into the old box that you bought a while ago. Yeah, and we published a story on Apple Insider this past week covering some of the other models that you may consider if you're looking for a, a new Wi-Fi base station. Uh, in the article, we talked about the D-Link Ultra AC5300, which has, good lord, eight frickin' antennae on it. 
Um, it handles smart beam beam forming to direct a signal d- directly to a specific device. Um, it's got four gigabit Ethernet ports, a WAN port, a USB three port, a USB two port, so you can plug in hard drives. Um, and they have an app which you can use on the phone called the the My Dealing SharePort app to manage those, and it works both inside and outside the local area network. Uh, it is possible to load DDWRT or OpenWRT on this uh, this router. However, I've done that, and it's it's definitely not for the user that needs to be handheld through things. If if you need help with the setup assistant, don't look at doing DDWRT, which is an open source firmware that basically unlocks functionality that's not normally in the router. Uh, Netgear Nighthawk R6700 AC1750 is a decent 802.11.ac router. It has three antennae, one WAN port, uh, four gigabit Ethernet ports, one USB 3 port for hard drive, a USB 2 port for printers. And Netgear says that any connected printer will be made AirPrint compatible, which means you can print from your phone or your iPad, which is a very good thing. And they they also have an app. They have the Netgear Genie app. And, and you know, this makes me think that, that I'm wondering if, if basically Apple said, look, we won. Everyone else is doing routers with apps that you configure through the phone. We've shown people the way to do it. They're doing it our way. Now we can stop doing it. One thing that would be kind of interesting is if Apple licensed out the same kind of embedded sort of uh, remote control type stuff. I wrote about this a long, long time ago that I think they should have taken, blue, um, you know, paired a package of technologies, including things like Bonjour. What do they call it now? Rendezvous? Uh, <laughs> Rendezvous yes. is like the really old name. Um, this kind of like automatic setup configuration and, you know, the kind of setup they have on the base station where you can, from within an app, you know, they could just make this available as sort of a, Framework they should have said, here's the, here's the framework and API for your router firmware. Go ahead and make it talk to this for the app and just use our app. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. So ability to control anything, you know, any sort of, that's kind of what HomeKit does a little bit. A little bit. There's, there's kind of a similar overlap, but more of a kind of standardized way to deal with computers embedded in whether it's a router or, you know, your microwave or security system or anything like that. So yeah. it, it could be that Apple's seeing that they're sort of doing duplicative work here, and when in the future they could have maybe a HomeKit type router Ooh. that would allow you to do things in, in instead of maintaining three or four different platforms for stuff. Because like what I'm saying is the the airport the whole design of it was a separate computer. It was like a Linux computer running on ARM, which is sort of similar to what Apple TV is, yeah. but um, Apple TV is actually running more like iOS iOS yeah they call it tvOS but well but it's been iOS for the past three generations yeah but they added enough different frameworks this is different real iOS, iOS now that you can actually use it but yeah yeah well the, the original app the original Apple TV was a Mac and then yeah yeah it was. An iOS device and now they're right. calling it tvOS because it's it has, has an app store unique yeah interface of for building a different platform of stuff on it yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, they could be replacing it. They could be just backing out of it entirely. And, you know, they could do this kind of licensing thing that where it's like an MFI type deal with partners where you have the benefits that they're giving right now with airport, but Apple doesn't have to stock three or four different devices for yeah in their stores. I'd like to mention a couple more routers here just for the benefit of our readers, uh, listeners. So TP-Link makes the TP-Link Archer C7. It's been around for a while. It's really affordable. It gives you 
decently fast wireless. It has three internal and external antennas, um, has the four gigabit Ethernet ports and one WAN port, and it has USB 2 ports for devices like drives and printers. Moving up to the TP-Link Archer C9, which is the newest one, has B-forming, and and so you can target the wireless signal directly at one device. And it also has USB 3 ports so that you can connect faster drives to it. And also it has the TP-Link app for iOS and Android. Um, our writer on Apple Insider recommends the browser by setup for advanced users. I, I found doing it either way worked very well. Uh, we also talk about the Eero system where Eero routers are a mesh network. The idea is that you can spread the signal around your house uh, among uh, three routers or four routers and that it will beam form and hand off automatically for you so that you get the signal where you need it. Um, I also like, and we didn't cover it here, the, uh, the Synology router. Synology has a history of making uh, RAID arrays and, and network storage, network accessible storage, but they've made a router and it has some of the same management software, has their app store and is really pretty sweet. And it also has, no surprise here, USB ports. Um, we didn't recommend Google's OnHub router. And we didn't recommend that because it's it's really easy to set up, but there's not a whole lot outstanding about it. They make them in two flavors. One's a TP-Link flavor, and you can get TP-Link routers much more affordably if you get the, the Archer models. There was another model, another manufacturer making the OnHub for them. And, and basically, with their router, if it loses internet connection, it doesn't have any of the features that it's supposed to. Whereas most of these others, if the internet side dies, the local area side is still up and still performing. So it's um, not exactly the way to go. Uh, in in the sub hundred dollar market, the the TP Link ones are, are pretty recommendable. The rest of them, you're going to end up paying a little bit more for. So thanks for bearing with me for that part. Um, Dan, gosh, I, we, what else do you, we, we've been here for 30 minutes. I want to wrap it up soon because I know that it's a, it's a holiday for us here in America, but, um, what, what's your thought besides, you know, we've talked a little bit about Apple trying to, to either end this because it's a commodity or perhaps roll into an MFI program. What other things does this fit in within their history of abandoning things recently? Well, over the last 10 years, I mean, that kind of started with XServe, <clears throat> And they had invested quite a bit into services and um, servers, server products, hardware, and the RAID device. And they got rid of the RAIDs first, and then they got rid of XServe entirely as the product line. And, and when they did, they recommended that people – they didn't recommend a replacement for the XServe, but they recommend people use a uh, Promise Technologies RAID for a while after yeah, they got the rid of the Yeah, that was the first step. And then just – I mean, if you look at Vax – they did the same thing with the Mac Pro, really. I mean, they came out with this appliance, and they haven't updated it. So it's unclear kind of what, what they're, they're planning to change that strategy or if they're planning to just sort of, like, let it go away. Um, so that's something that people in the Mac world are kind of wondering about with some, some concern and anxiety. If you need something more than a, a MacBook Pro can give you, right now you have to buy an older... I mean, basically older specs. Although Intel is also not, we're not living in a world where PC chips, x86 chips, get tremendously faster every year. Um, a lot of the 
a lot of the effort is going to where the money is, which is power consumption. And that's not just in mobile devices and not laptops, but also in, in server applications. There's a lot of effort going into how to make how to make them use less power rather than how to just achieve highest ability at computation at no concern for how much electricity they're using. Because that's yeah. a, a real concern in, in in a cloud infrastructure sort of situation where you're not only having to power it, but you're also having to cool it, hold the heat out of it that it's releasing. So, and in the market for PCs is, is now pretty flat. I mean, it's not, it's not growing tremendously. So where's the, where's the impetus to put a lot of money into a product category that's not really growing anymore. And of course there's no competition to x86 really. No one's, offering any direct competition in terms of it's forcing Intel to work harder as they have in the past in some cases. Whereas they are facing a lot of competition with ARM. They've been desperately trying to enter the mobile space and the phone space and other embedded areas where ARM has been taking over. So um, it's not clear where where a number of Mac things are going. But it is clear that Apple is not abandoning the Mac as a platform. A lot of people have kind of ask you that. thrown that out. But, um, you know, you, you look at how much money Apple's making for Macs, it's, it's more than they've ever made before. I mean, they're, they're continually making 5 million Macs now when it wasn't too long ago that they were making 1 million Macs per, per quarter in both cases. Um, but the growth in laptops, I mean, in notebooks, and all, I'm well, sorry, wait, wait, non, wait. non-Mac um, tablets is what I'm trying to say, I, yeah. iPads is a larger it's numerically larger the volume set the sales volumes are larger and the profits are still quite good so it's it's comparable value to apple even though they're selling like you know two to three to four hundred dollar ipads in a lot of cases they're still making money and they're still making they're still selling so many they're selling so many millions that it is comparable in value to the mac okay so let me let me this is something that i've seen in the past week that's been a criticism of Apple, right? And and the criticism goes like this. So one of the things that that Steve Jobs did when he returned to Apple was the he taught Apple to focus and to focus on a one product company, right? He he limited the Mac line to the iBook and the iMac and the PowerBook and the Power Mac and said focus and we're going to get rid of all the other stuff and and did that for a long time. And now here we are in in 2016 to almost 2017, and Apple's still behaving like they're a one product company, one platform company, but it's all about iOS now. And so, Apple TV is an accessory for iOS. The watch is an accessory for iOS. So, well, and, they should be related, and they should be you know enmeshed right. together. It's interesting but, that Apple actually talks about all those as being different platforms. There's iOS, right. and there's watchOS, and tvOS, and macOS. Even though they're very, very similar, but there's there's much more commonality in all those platforms than there was in all the things that Microsoft was calling Windows. So, so here's what the 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 rest of this theory says. It says that the Mac is only related to those in as much as it allows developers to develop software for those other products, and so that's as far as Apple's interest in this platform Mac goes is enabling developers to write things for the devices they care about that 
you know, I, that Apple used to care about the needs of graphics professionals, of architects, of, you know, people who used Adobe Premiere and After Effects or photographers and all of this, but that their goals and needs and the goals and needs of professional Mac users are not as aligned now. That, that now Apple's primary task is to sell more iPhones. They have no incentive to, to improve the Mac beyond the point that iOS developers need to run Xcode. Well, I mean, Xcode is a very important strategic thing for Apple's Mac platform. And if you look at the, the, when Apple talks about jobs and the jobs they're creating and they're talking about the iOS ecosystem that is creating jobs and is creating billions of dollars worth of development for iOS devices that's making them relevant. That's a main reason why people buy iOS devices instead of Android or anything else is because of this strong platform. So obviously it's very important for Apple. Apple also sells Logic and Final Cut and they have creative apps that they'll make available. Um, but there isn't tremendous amounts of... Um, they are strategically important, but there there isn't the same amount of billions of dollars of, of immediate payback. So obviously Apple's priorities are, you know, Xcode is a very clear priority for the company. They've been putting a lot of money into that. Um, As far as saying that Xcode is the only thing that Apple cares about on the Mac, that's clearly not true because um, history offers a whole lot of different examples of companies that had two platforms, like for example, Apple in the days of the Apple II and the Macintosh, where they put all their money into one and they kept one alive and just sort of, it was really frustrating for the people who were on the platform that was left behind sort of because you saw this development that was going into the new one and yours was just sitting there stagnant and that's not happening on ios and mac you say that apple you say that there's a priority difference there's a priority difference because it's billions of dollars different however the amount of effort that apple is putting into mac os is pretty incredible okay for how much money it generates so it's clearly a strategic thing hold on I I was reading a comment by a user who says that he is blind, that he has he has no sight at all, and he said that he has the the iPhone, and he uses VoiceOver on it, and that VoiceOver has been updated and improved repeatedly, where VoiceOver on his Mac has not been touched at all in ages. That yeah, the improvements the aren't there. That there's there's totally no parity in terms of, of the attention that one platform gets and the lack of attention the other one gets. There are a variety of examples of things that have kind of remained stagnant on, on the Mac and only caught up later. Um, there was a number of things that Apple kind of did a detour, you know, for a while there were, they had various different sort of mail and all this, all the sort of context calendar stuff was more connected to their server ideas such that you could, set up Mac OS 10 server and you can have a shared calendar and things like that. And that didn't work and nobody was buying it. It didn't make any sense as a strategy going forward. Uh, it's all iCloud now. And that allowed Apple to really um, have one strategy. And going forward, they brought that to iOS first and in many cases, and then brought it to the Mac using kind of shared technology. There's a, a ton of stuff that's started on iOS that's come to the Mac. There's a lot of things that are started on, on, on the Mac and reported to iOS. And it's just a constant um, sharing of technology between the two. And sometimes there will be something that's, you know, this frustrating situation with something that's like the example you gave with accessibility, where it isn't happening as fast as some people would like. But if you, you know, look at accessibility on Android, look at it on Windows even. I mean, 
Okay. There's, there's a lot of things you can complain about. Apple has finite resources and they have a focus on where they're putting things based on how much money it will return. They have to do that. But to say that Apple's abandoning the Mac is, is, is not, um, it's clearly not happening because they're putting so much money into the Mac. All right. This, this theory resonates with some people because they're, they're, first of all, disappointed with the Mac Pro Pro. Fine, whatever. They're also seeing the software quality drop over time as, as an observation. Well, and they're that's seeing something that people Apple make up abandon, ex- yes, and but the they're Mac also seeing so Apple abandon technologies like the monitors or the, the airport base stations, things that were accessories for the Mac that they, they used to be able to rely on as being Apple provided. And so it's, it's enough to put that question in their minds, especially if you go back and consider things like uh, Steve Jobs' introduction of the iPad as being the post-PC world and Tim Cook's reiteration of that by saying that the iPad is the future of computing. Yeah, and that's true. It's going to be. So, so that leaves the Mac out. Well, I mean, it, it, the Mac is a niche, and it is a niche. And if you look at sales volumes, it's very clear that you know it's serving a certain number of people. And going forward, you're going to have generations of people that are only using um, tablet computers. I mean, I went to a restaurant the other day. It was the same restaurant that people were coming in with their Uber orders. And their cash register, instead of being a you know Windows XP box with a cash drawer on it, it was two iPad minis on a frame that one faced mm-hmm. the cashier and the other faced you. And when you, when it, you make a payment, you can put in your tip and sign it on the screen. Um, that's the kind of thing I used to talk about how in the PC world, Apple was compared against all these PCs that were doing just like trivial little things like running a cash register. And now that's increasingly becoming a thing that iPads are doing and in sales and in marketing and all these different areas where people are using computers, but they don't even think of it as computer anymore because it's just a piece of glass that they can interact with. And it does computer kind of things. And the PC market is not, people are not buying tremendous numbers of PCs anymore to put on a desk somewhere where it has to sit plugged into a power supply. Apple knows how many computers it's selling and knows whether it's selling desktop computers or notebooks. Apple knows exactly how many airports it's selling. Yeah. And so for someone on the outside to say, oh, this is a huge mistake. Well, you should at least be aware of what the information in that they're basing their decisions is on. All right. So I've kept you, I've kept you on the line for 45 minutes here. Um, but before you, you call an Uber to bring you food, um, what, what, what's your parting thought? It will be interesting to see what happens next year with Apple and what some of these things that we've been talking about is what are they going to do with the Mac? Are they going to double down and are we going to see new iMacs that share a lot of the same technologies as the new MacBook Pros that just came out? It's very likely. Um, what will we see with the Mac Pro? That Those kind of questions are all like waiting to be answered. Um, are they going to address Wi-Fi or are they just going to leave that to third parties to handle in the future? How much they will take that technologies that were um, associated with the Macintosh, things like, you know, Apple talk and then bonjour. And then this sort of automatically setting everything up for you type computing, how much of it they're going to continue to bolt onto this 1980s desktop idea of a Macintosh and how much of it they're going to make it even easier to use and effortless frictionless with kind of embedded computing with, you know, it's on your phone, it's on, on a tablet here and it costs less. Because, you know, one of the things to think about is when you look at a Macintosh, a big part of the cost 
the bill of materials is an Intel chip that can cost hundreds of dollars. Whereas on these smaller devices where Apple controls everything, they can continue to build their own processors and do interesting things with them with, you know, now they have this A10 Vision chip. And right, the, the, the too fast cores, the too slow cores. Yeah, they continue to make them faster and faster and more efficient in, in ways that are exactly what they need. Not like Intel that's doing a bunch of stuff kind of speculatively building chips. I mean, Intel puts a lot of work into creating an architecture that can scale and supposedly have x86 chips to go from anywhere from servers to desktop computers to tablets and phones and embedded devices. But the majority of what they're selling is they're creating products that will sell in the market at a profit. And so for Apple, they can do that just, they can kind of focus on only what they want to build so that the the efforts that they're putting into these chips are um, going directly into what they need. So there's a lot of interesting things that are happening. Uh, One of the things I wrote last year, kind of coming into this year was Apple doesn't have any competition and everyone pretended this year that they did. And they kept talking about the Surface and they kept talking about the Pixel and all these ridiculous devices that no one sells in any quantity. Um, but the, the fact remains, Apple does not have really clear competition anywhere outside of Samsung to be charitable. And Samsung is making far less money selling far fewer premium higher-end products. Chinese aren't building um, higher-end products that they're selling at huge profits. So how is that ever going to change? Apple's making 90% of the profits. Um, what changes is going to happen? And Apple's competitors are now a year weaker and a year further behind. So 2017 is coming up. We'll see what changes or if it continues that trend. All right. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks. With me, Daniel Erndilger. Daniel, where can people find you on the internet? I write for uh, Apple Insider, of course, and I'm also on Twitter, Daniel Aaron, E-R-A-N. And like we say, the Instagram, I'll put pics up on that. It's Apple yeah. Apple Insider underscore official. I'm going to follow our pictures. Excellent. Well, if Daniel gets rid of all of his MacBook Pros and other Mac-related computers and goes with an iPad Pro only, we'll tell you all about it here on the Apple Insider Podcast.